on a global RFP, our approach was, we said you had to be part of this new energy economy and you had to, again, think about you know, San Antonio a lot more holistically than a place to make a buck. Paula Gold-Williams, President and CEO of CPS Energy, chats with Deborah Smith, General Manager and CEO of Seattle City Light, about grid innovation, community, equity, and leadership in this episode of Grid Forward Chats. Welcome to Grid Forward Chats, the podcast series with industry leaders that explores what lies ahead for our electric grid. Now, let's give the mic to Deborah Smith. So, um, my name is Deborah Smith, and I am here talking with my friend and colleague, Paula Gold Williams. And she's an inspirational leader in our industry. She's a woman who, in many ways, has paved the way. I think we've discussed this before, and I think we're about the same age. I just turned 60. Uh, earlier this month. So we are both at a point where reflecting on our careers is kind of fun, thinking about what's next and thinking about what's possible. And today is February 1, 2021. Six months ago, we all thought things would be back to normal by now. And in fact, they are not. And it's been a super, super busy time uh, for our country. Um, And even right now, uh, today is a huge weather event happening back east. So we, uh, in our industry, I'm sure Paul and I are both thinking about our colleagues, uh, Gil and others who are going to be dealing with really, really tough stuff. So Paul, can you tell us just a little bit about you and CPS Energy, which serves uh, San Antonio, Texas? Paula? Glad to. Deborah. you know, it's, it's nice that we can get together. It's so funny, right, that we would normally try to make meetings together. But now that I have these virtual opportunities, I suck them up. So good to be with you here today. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to, to talk about uh, what we're both doing and uh, share some ideas. But but San Antonio uh, in itself, it's the seventh largest city and CPS Energy has had the honor and privilege to serve this community for 160, going on 161 years now. At the time that we started, there were only 8,000 people in San Antonio. Now they're, you know, approaching, we're approaching 2 million people in our, in our full service territory. So the company has grown as the community has grown. The interesting thing is we started out, you know, so long ago, we were a gas lap company. The gas lamps, the very first one that, that got put in and was maintained by a company came from what we're doing. And here we are today kind of thinking about how fast technology is moving this industry and how much customer demand and focus is moving the industry. But as you said, Deborah, it gets even more complicated because we have to stop what we're doing uh, oftentimes or heavily manage the challenges that we have, covid uh, a tough global economy. And then when you really sit and listen and think about what's happening to your customers who are experiencing these same things, the important thing is to help individuals, to help customers, to help think about what they need today, and then also focus on how can we be better service providers in the future. And that, that doesn't stop. Really, you know, really fascinating too, because I know there's a lot of talk. I'm, I'm curious, uh, what you think, but talk nationally and, and in, in most states, how do we unwind from a year's worth of eviction moratoriums and utility shutoff moratoriums? And how do we as a country do that in a way that's graceful? That is, uh, that doesn't, uh, unfairly hurt landlords and people who have, 
you know, put their retirement into real estate. And then at the same time, we know coming off of this year, so much discussion about how do we center um, our actions uh, in ways that are more equitable. And so we're sitting here right now and uh, we're talking about vaccine availability for BIPOC communities and others. And how do we do this? I don't know the answer, but is it something that you're thinking about at CPS? Oh, constantly. We, you know, we, we went into moratorium early. I mean, the, the industry, I mean, I was really proud of the industry overall. However, we got there, we, we all did the best we could to, to take that element of stress away from our customers and just continue to work with them. And I saw a study recently, though, about the whole belief that, you know, scientifically even, knowing that even if it's a moratorium, knowing that your your service provider did that is a much better place for a customer to be than one where, where the utility made no uh, effort at all. And that stress, right, compounded to your point by all the other stresses. Um, and, and some people, you know, in homes that they've been in a very, very long time, even as renters, and this stress that has come. And in many cases, what we've done here in San Antonio is we've created an uh, outbound call effort, a, a whole program. And so it used to be that we would hear some of the toughest stories when a customer had the ability to think about calling us. And what we're really finding is they're under so much pressure. It, it's that extra step that we take to call them. And sometimes they don't answer, but but quite a few people, if they don't answer, they call us back. And we find that the level of stress that they're you know going through, not just their utility bill, but just life. And then the, the amount of people who have lost loved ones and don't have a job. I mean, it's 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 huge. So we are thinking constantly about this you know, restabilization of the economy and how do we how do we continue to work with our customers to to try to to make that transition? A, a little thing I'll just add it to that point is we we have uh, this concept that we're growing here called um, CPS Energy Angels. We've always had a you know a, a residential uh, energy assistance program. We've had it since the early two thousands. And we, we put about a million dollars in it every single year, and we've had contributions from other uh, companies. But we're also finding that p- some people want to help um, a friend or a neighbor or a cousin or a parent. And, and it's been hard to, to do that because of privacy and all these things that, that we hadn't thought through. And so we decided that we were going to think through a lot harder about how to give people ranges and not specific details about someone's um, actual expense, but be able to give give documentation that your payment went to their this account that you wanted to. And then we're, we're going to make an effort to call them CPS Energy Angels and really applaud the community because we, we think it's a combination of utility doing all that it can, trying to get, you know, more federal dollars where we can, trying to partner with United Way agencies, because it's not all about financial assistance. There's there's food insecurity and all those things that go along with tough economies. And again, some people want to do that one direct measure of giving, and we've got we've to try to make those connections. So those are some of the things that we're still trying to do, but trying to come out of it, I think, to your point, Deborah, it's going to be super complicated. That's a great idea. I took a note on that one. We have real uh, privacy issues in Seattle, or we have strong uh, privacy protections, but it would be interesting to see 
how that could work because I do know that's true and people do want to help folks and maintain anonymity. I actually had the opportunity last week to talk with a couple of other colleagues, uh, Lisa Groh and uh, Maria Pope. And I can't remember which one of them. I think it was Lisa who commented and she's in Idaho. So she runs Idaho Power. And she said that, you know, they are experiencing higher levels of people calling in because folks are so isolated. So even though we think of ourselves as, oh, you know, I don't want to think about my utility unless the lights are out or I can't pay my bill. There's actually a surprising number of people who are just so lonely and isolated right now. And and so that reaching out proactively, I really love that. And I'm sure like like Seattle City Light, you have completely flexed and turned your plans uh, upside down over the last year to accommodate that reality. But what's on, what's on your plate? What are your key initiatives right now? Well, um, I'll, I'll tell a little bit of, of transition that I don't really talk about a lot. So, you know, being a municipal entity, particularly when I first came in the industry 16 years ago, um, and and long before, and Deborah, you probably you know have familiarity with this, but there's always this balance about you know how do you uh, message your customers and tell and tell them what you're doing and um, let them know that you're there to you know to pick up the phone and have that connection. But we for a very long time wouldn't do TV ads, and um, there's always this conversation about you know should a utility use their funds and quote unquote taxpayer dollars, uh, which um, the interesting thing is if I was an investor owned utility, you wouldn't call it a taxpayer dollar. You'd call it a utility business, right? So I still, you know, I still tell people, you know, municipal utilities are businesses owned by a community and we've got to do, I think in some ways we've got to do even more intense contact for us because our customers are in fact our investors. So we actually stepped up um, more messaging to our customers. And it's everything from, we're here from you. We have this, this uh, you know, thing where we say, although we're apart, you're never alone. Your utility is for you and, and here to answer your questions and, and talk to you. We actually um, tell our energy advisors, don't shorten the call, live in the call. When they get what they ask, ask them, do they know about this or that or interested in different programs? And so we actually I mean, we go the exact opposite of call center, uh, you know, normal stats and dynamics. Now, interestingly, our phone sets are very high. We're in the and we're above 90 percent in terms of calls answered in 30 seconds. But we think, again, we get a more thorough call the customer doesn't have to call back. They know that we're we're talking to them again about even other programs. Every once in a while, we have a call or or um, a customer that says, "Why are you calling?" Right? They think it's a they think it's a collection call, but we, it's definitely not. And um, we even have sometimes we'll connect customers with other agencies. Like we'll, we've found um, certain certain individuals so disconnected that they need help from other agencies. And so we'll call the agency and say, we have, you know, Mr. Smith or, or Mrs. Johnson, she needs help. And they're like asking us, why are we doing this? You know, what, what is their, our purpose? 
And it's really hard to get people to understand that from the municipal standpoint, we need to do more outreach. We need to do more connection and we can't do it all. We know that everybody's out doing something, but we have a part to do. So I would tell you, we're putting out more promotional materials. We actually run our commercials during football games now. We didn't used to. And in Texas, we're big football state. Yeah. In every way. But again, it, it's done a lot to get people to not be afraid to call the utility or always think that they have to be, you know, to fight to get what they want when in fact all they need to do is call us to see how we can help. So that's that's a huge effort that we continue to do. At the same time, we're focused on technology. We're trying to keep the momentum going because the only way to get to the goals of true decarbonization is to continue to see technology in the energy business develop. You know, we have multiple avenues that we're doing it, but we're, we've done a big global RFP. We, we did an RFI last year because we felt like the COVID was really going to obstruct people from, from really responding to a request. And the request has up to uh, 900 megawatts of solar, up to 50 megawatts of fast response uh, batteries, and up to 500 megawatts of farming capacity. And I think that's where it really gets pretty sexy because it could be anything in that space. And we want, we just want to make sure that we cover the renewables in such a way that it's a very, you know, a big microsystem concept, microgrid concept. So, you know, that was interesting to do an RFI. And then we just close, we're closing the RFP today, but it won't be the last one. I mean, um, we have a flexible path strategy. This is called the flex power bundle, but our vision is that it's going to be um, flex power bundle 2.0, flex power bundle 3.0. And that what we want to do is keep incenting the innovation to keep coming forward. And, and that I say the last thing about that is we, we also have an organization called Epicenter and Epicenter is where we take new technology and ideas and we, we kind of do Shark Tank. It's a kind of a Shark Tank concept. So we um, they we're busy running utilities. Deborah, you know, we, you know, 24, 7, 365. It's hard when you've got people who are really doing this, you know, utility work. And then say, let's let's you know focus on technology and innovation. But this small group of a team of less than 10 people, what they do is they look at technology and they basically do an analysis for us and then they bring it to our it, we have a, a cross-functional internal team of executives. And then the steering committee are the senior chiefs. So if you're successful, you get two shark tank bites at the apple. And then we are and we're trying to decide where to put our, our, our you know money most effectively. That's fascinating. Are those like, what's the demographic of the employees of the like 10 employees who are your uh, inventors, I guess, if you stick with the Shark Tank uh, example? Well, well, what they, what they really are is they're immersed in the utility business, but they're representing everything from our legal team to our people and culture group to financial sector folks. So it's them where we bring in, I think, the best demographic view, too, is we also run competitions, right? We, we you know, innovation competitions that, that can include our employees and can include the local, you know, community. And so that's where I think we get the youngest demographics when we go to our front line and we go to the community. So we, we pepper that in and that and Epicenter actually runs those competitions for us as well. So it, it's it what we what we believe 
is that we have to blend the tried and the true with the new. And so I'm always telling the, the, the most experienced executives is you want to you want to connect with with the people who are new to the industry and, and they're not constrained by this will never work. <laughs> and then I say to people who are like, I don't know why you do that old type, you know, a, you know, approach to energy. I want them to talk to senior executives and say, well, let me tell you what didn't work and why and all of those things. And I just believe that when we blend that, we're going to come up with that best that best approach to technology. Yeah, that's fascinating because you and I are both we both, um, I think, came to this industry as kind of a second career. We we do live in a in an industry and it, and it is it is an amazing time. Uh, it has been so stayed for so long. And yet, you know, I think I listen to people all the time and pick a number. It could be five years, 10 years. But whatever that number is in your mind, the industry is going to be completely different because we are at that flex point. And so. Um, figuring out how to take advantage of new ideas. We have one foot in the future and one foot right now um, providing essential services. And in fact, because of the pandemic and because of the way many people are working and schooling, our essential service has never been more critical, especially to residential customers. So um, really fascinating. So you talked about your Flex Power Bundle 1.0, 2.0, etc. And uh, so, is your are you primarily thinking about battery storage as the way you meet capacity needs in this in this uh, as you integrate more renewables into your system? Well, they're they're definitely the, I think the go to technology to help renewables today. Um, you know, the the fast response that they have, the resiliency, the ability to to augment renewables makes a ton of sense. There's a couple of challenges that we we see, and um, you know, it's that the typical you know, up to four hour duration we don't feel gives us enough coverage in terms of you know what we have to do you know in, in terms of managing the seventh largest city's um, needs. So we 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 can, and we've looked at what I call the rack 'em and stack 'em strategy, right? You just keep stacking those batteries. We actually initially did a did an analysis and said, well, we we took a whole tanker of batteries, like a big, you know, ship. Then we could probably replicate uh, the performance of a of a base load plant to to some great degree. But then again, I've also had some studies done about this the number of days, as sunny as Texas is, the number of days where um, there is no, you know, not enough sun. I mean, and, and now we have winter peak. I mean, you all have uh, winter peak, but, but we, we haven't had that. And so it can't be right now the, the full solution, but it is definitely the solution that works pretty well in a lot of instances. Um, the thing, what we want is we want that technology to be advanced but we also are open to different types of chemistries in terms of long storage, uh, you know, long-term duration on the storage. And so we're looking at that and we, we, you know, we kind of believe that there's even stuff that we don't know that is getting more and more viable. And we want to take it from uh, exploratory, like what can we pilot to scale? So we're still trying to get out there and encourage more development with new technologies as well as existing technologies. And the last thing I'll say, and, and you know, I, and I talked to a lot of CEOs, you know, it, batteries pose this interesting thing, right? Because it can, it can consume and it could produce. 
energy. And I think the protocols and you know, a lot of energy markets don't really reward batteries for the great way that it can perform. In Texas, what's happened, and, and I'm, I'm unfamiliar, Deborah, in your, in your regulatory model and your structure of your market, but when you separate generators from you know, distribution companies and you tell them neither, neither the two shall meet, when you have a battery and a system that could go between the two, it makes it hard. Now we're we're a municipal utility, so we have some you know additional flexibility um, with it. But I do think for that for that to be optimized, there needs to be more structural changes in the protocols so that the battery can get better rewarded for the way it performs. And and those two are, you know, really big deals that we've got to think through. But it's going to have huge implications. I mean, that's that's the one thing about technology. It's not going to slow down for rules to be built. <laughs> so, uh, I, and we don't want it to, right? Yeah, no. And I think you're you're right. I mean, it's funny when you said that you're experiencing now winter peaks and out, you know, so we're, you know, in an interesting place in Seattle. Um, you want to talk about cloud cover, Paula, let me tell you. <laughs> you know? But, uh, and I, you know, before I came here, I worked, I ran a, a small utility on the Oregon coast and it was the same thing. You know, customers really want the freedom, the flexibility. They want energy independence. So even though we would say to them, you know, solar at the Oregon coast is not a great mix um, and I know that in our community, and I imagine yours, the outcomes of the grid, I mentioned how it has never been more important to people that they have a stable grid. Um, and yet, uh, I think a lot about equity. So in Seattle, even we had a windstorm uh, a couple weeks ago. And you know, the wind blows and it blows where it blows. But as it happened, the impacts were much, there were much more significant in, the, in South Seattle than in North Seattle. We're thinking all the time around the equity implications. What are you doing around that? How are you how are you centering equity? What is that like in San Antonio? Tough as well. Um, you know, I, from a from an infrastructure standpoint, I would say that San Antonio pretty much has challenges on its west, south, and east sides, right? And so the, the it just so happened. I mean, I'm, I was born and raised here, and when I grew up. Uh, you know, smaller, smaller community, a lot of the development in the North happened over the last, you know, I'd say, you know, three, three to four decades. And so um, a lot of it is newer to, to your point. However, it's not perfect because we went through a period where we did a lot of direct bury um, where, you know, you don't, we didn't trench, uh, you know, our lines. And so, there's a lot of seismic movement in San Antonio as well. I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't really conscious of that as a young person. And so we have, we have these very interesting um, top uh, topography challenges here. And then we have these older communities that, that are happening, you know, having these challenges and we have, you know, this designation that we, you know, we've been identified as the, the poorest large city. And so there's a lot of inequities um, economically, and and we definitely live the digital divide um, challenges here. So I would tell you, you know, our general approach has been that we are always trying to um, look at all the efforts that we make and make sure that the products and services that we're going after have a place in every part of our community, right? And so, um, what does that mean? That means that sometimes uh, folks will say, we're going to do everything th through rooftop solar. 
um, when when you're when you're economically um, disadvantaged, as much as you may want solar, you're probably not going to get it because there's still a challenge in terms of your income tax credits and all those things that you would have to go back and do that. So so we made sure that it, for years now that we've had this roof lease roof leasing program where the customer doesn't have to pay a, you know a dime. I mean it's not uncommon, but we've done it for years. And so what they're doing is they're getting a credit back and some other entity we're working with is actually, you know, owning the system. And then we're also looking when even when we do community solar, we're looking for organizations that will put up um small systems in the the west, south, and east sides of town, in addition to wherever they think is their best opportunity to, to make money. So we're always leveraging our our position. We have to be careful with the municipal, to, though. You have to make sure you don't create tying arrangements and all those things that, that, that can get you um, maybe too far into those demands. But the expectation that when we partner, they're coming at, to San Antonio, they're coming, um, you know, from everything from investments in education to ensuring that they're covering other parts of town, not just where they believe they can have the biggest margins, that they have products that, that speak to every citizen in some way. They have a, they have a portfolio of products that people can go after. And so, that's kind of our approach. And and even I would say we really kind of understood the way to do this back in the 2011 timeframe when we did about 400 megawatts of solar on a global RFP. And our approach was, you know, from that standpoint that we we said you had to be part of this new energy economy and you had to, again, think about, you know, San Antonio a lot more holistically than a place to make a buck. And um, very much, you know, tremendously focused on education and what we could do. And, and so, we, you know, this, that begat, you know, having bigger, you know, communities of installers, um, people bringing jobs and departments of their companies here to be anchored and actually be citizens and join the, the, the different associations and chambers again, and then continue to focus on education. Education is probably the biggest challenge we have in Texas, because we do also have, you know, we have the economic issues, we have the drop-off issues, the digital divide issues, and but we tell we tell our partners these are the things that we need to, to embrace if you're going to do business with us. Pardon this quick interruption. Do you like the in-depth interviews on Grid Forward Chats? Subscribe to our channel on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Podbean apps. That way, you don't miss a single chat. And learn more about Grid Forward at gridforward.org. Now, back to the show. I love that idea of don't come here just because economically it might be good for your business. Come and be a true community partner. I think that is a pretty cool way to think about it. One of the things I struggle with, and I have a great group of of people that are that, that is their job they're 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 working on electrification grid modernization etc but it is challenging to when i said one foot in the past or in the present one foot in the future it is hard to drive that sense of innovation through the organization have you had success with that and how do you do it you know what we what we experience is um this can be an all-consuming business and so you can, you know your people tend to focus on 
what's right in front of them and it's tried and true. And so a couple of things that, that we've done, and I think we're still a, a work in progress. You know, seriously, I took innovation and strategy out of everybody's title. Oh, cool. I mean, actually, I went backwards, right? Because even that tended to make them think, oh, that's Sam's job or that's Sarah's job, right? And and I started saying nobody nobody has it because we all own it, right? And so we started having um, many more conversations about innovation everywhere. And, and even sometimes when we do um, competitions for new innovation, sometimes what we get is process improvement, not really innovation. However, what we t- tend to do is still reward that that creative thinking. Like, well, how can we do something better? And then we then we connect to them and say, doing something better is part of the innovative concept and the construct. And we we look for ways to encourage everyone to keep, you know, again, what's your what are your ideas? What can we do? How can we help you? And then we set them up with you know this innovation group, and that group kind of sometimes splinters off and creates these little buckets of support, right? So you'll have a champion on the executive team helping you get your idea um, going. Now we can't, we can't, to your point, we can't do them all, but I think still the, the most important thing is this, you know, don't constrain it, you know, let it, let it be this thing that they can all do in some form or fashion and then encouraging them to keep doing it. And then when we can, what, what we typically give in awards, if you're an employee, is time to work on your idea. Oh, that's cool. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so they can, they can, you know, isolate and schedule in their, in their week, you know, wow. when are they going to do it and how do they do it? So those types of things, which aren't, you know, really out of pocket money, you're paying them to work and that's just part of the work. And then I think they made the last thing, Deborah, is like, you know, I, more and more I tell people, you've got to spend about 10% of your time, 15 if you're lucky, doing something different than your job, thinking about something different than what you normally do every day. That's part of your growth. And in that mechanism is this opportunity to be more innovative in your thought. But it also could be just learning something different in the business and changing your dynamic about this. Got to do it the same way every day. That's very cool. I really like that. I've written down so many notes from things you've said. I love the, I, I wrote down, I love the, um, the one around, it's not in it. Oh, nobody has it because we all own it. That's a great, that's a great line. So what about stimulus? We're almost out of time. All right, what's your utility doing? What's CPS doing to prepare for possible stimulus, infrastructure-based stimulus funds, hopefully um, later this year? Well, one of the big things that's happening is um, EPRI has been working on this uh, low carbon resource initiative, which I love because it, they've, they've got municipal entities and um, investor owned utilities um, working together to really kind of change the direction of looking and striving for real applied science activities. But the connection is we're also um, focused on working with the national labs mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's formulating. I think they you know, we joined um, at the end of last year and excited about it. It's about a five to six year uh, focus to your point, how fast will technology move? It can move pretty darn fast, <laughs> but, the, but the ability to leverage an industry's resources, both, you know, financial re- redirecting what we would normally spend on a lot of, a lot of different focuses, but now we're concentrating on reducing carbon together 
And then ultimately, CPS Energy, we want to be one of the pilot capitals of the world or the the pilot capital of the world. So we're opening up the city in terms of if you want to try to pilot something, we want to try to help you demonstrate that here in San Antonio. I think that's that's what innovation also needs. It needs a place that it can anchor and show people that it's real. And so those are two two big things that we're focused on right now. That really is very cool. So I'm going to end with a question and uh, it's a little off off order here of what I was given, but I think that's okay. So um, I was the first, uh, when I joined uh, Seattle two and a half years ago, I was the first uh, female uh, CEO general manager of my utility. Were you in San Antonio? Was not, was not. Uh, I was fortunate. There were, um, there was a predecessor before me, Jamie Rochelle, um, grew up in the industry and ultimately uh, held that position for several years before she retired. And then there was uh, another person who was general manager for um, not quite a year, uh, also uh, Jalen LeBlanc Burley. So um, San Antonio is kind of kind of unique because we've had um, a lot of uh, diversity in terms of our leaderships, in terms of race and gender. Um, I think I'm the only one existing now, the only African American female uh, CEO right now. We got to we got to do you know we got to do more work to do that. But but um, but San Antonio is kind of kind of different. So what's your advice to young younger uh, women, regardless of race? Or what's your advice? Do it, let's do it this way. What's your advice to younger Black women who are thinking about where they want to land or thinking about how to how to wind up being Paula Gold Williams someday, wherever, in whatever industry that is? Well, it's, it's probably the same, you know, that I would give to everybody. But I will say that women in general typically think about that it's, um, you know, they have this focus on perfection, about them being perfect. And in fact, I think they need to take the pressure off themselves and assume that because we're entering this period where innovation and change is happening, they shouldn't believe that the rest is already um, created, right? They they have this great ability now to be and help shape an industry by getting involved and not assuming that they have to come and know everything, but they have to be great learners and be part of this, this transition. And the, the more that you can let go about thinking about yourself as what is my self-interested goal, but if when you start to think about what you can learn, what your, your education, even in the industry is something no one can take from you. So once you, once you take that away and make it a lot more broad and open yourself up, I think, and, and this lack of like trying to think that it's a perfection game, but it's really a taking a risk game. You know, you got to take a risk. You got to put yourself out there. You got to, you got to, you know, get yourself involved in substance projects. They may not all be sexy and the hot, you know, the, the, the most uh, exciting thing. That doesn't matter because you never know where that good idea or that good change is going to come from. And the more that people can see you as a real team player, it's about team. Um, you're going to get more opportunity the more brave you are to do that. And again, it's not perfection. It's it's that willingness and drive that you're going to be that one that's going to help get to some advancement, some progress. And every little bit of progress you make adds up. There is not going to be a silver bullet of everybody snaps a finger and we've all figured it out. There's going to be a ton of stuff going on. And the more that they can realize that that's right at their fingertips and it's for them to to keep putting their name in the hat and and being curious and 
being willing to say something that doesn't sound, you know, great, but it, but it sparks conversation. I think that's the advice that I would give. Well, this has been fascinating. It's fun to talk to you always. I really just can't wait to see you uh, in person. Thank you for taking time out of your very busy day to talk with me this morning. I hope you have an awesome February. How about that? February is Black History Month. It is. Um, You know, what a great way, a great opportunity for me to start the month by talking with you because you are just, um, you are one of the most respected people uh, in our industry. And certainly uh, from the public power perspective, probably at the very top of the list. You and a couple of other uh, CEOs really inspire all of us. So thank you so much, Paula, and have a wonderful day. You're beyond kind. Stay safe and can't wait to see you in person. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization ahead. Check out our website at gridforward.org to learn more about our podcasts, virtual events, becoming a member, and our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across our region.